At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. I invite you right now to take out the Word of God and turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians and chapter number 13. 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. This is the third message in a series that we have entitled The Power of Love from the first seven verses of 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. And we have been acknowledging that we live in a culture that is confused about what love is, and that confusion is often reflected in a number of popular American songs about love over the years. And I want to open today by talking about another one of those songs. This is one that was sung by classic rock idol Tina Turner with her spiked, teased hair and her soulful strut. And this is a song that she released in 1984. It was her only number one single. It is a song that sold two million copies. And the title of that song was What's Love Got to Do With It? And here's some of the lyrics of that song. What's love got to do with it? What's love but a secondhand emotion? What's love but a sweet, old-fashioned notion? And you know, you see the lyrics of that song, and a couple of things stand out to me. One thing is, it seems like the author of this song is saying that love is secondary in some way or form. And we have seen that Paul gives us a spiritual mathematic formula in 1 Corinthians 13, and that formula, we've looked at this before, is everything minus love equals what? Nothing. It's not a secondary thing at all. And uh, another thing I notice about the song is I think the writer of that song falls prey to the imprecision of the English language. We've talked about this previously. We have one word for love. We pointed out that there, we mentioned three Greek words for love, you know, eros, which describes the passion dimension of love, phileo, which describes the affection friendship dimension of love, and then agape, which describes the action dimension of love, and it is this last term that is used in 1 Corinthians 13. You know, in this dimension of love, love is not mere sentiment, it's not fluffy, it's not mushy. It is not rooted in what I feel, it is rooted in what I do. So let's go back to some of those lyrics again. Remember part of the lyric in the song was, what's love got to do with it? And biblically we would say everything, absolutely everything. And then the lyric goes, what's love but a secondhand emotion? Well, We learn in 1 Corinthians 13 that true love is not a secondhand emotion. It is love in motion. It is action, love in action. And then we have that lyric, what's love but a sweet old-fashioned notion? Is that what it is, an old-fashioned notion? No, we learn that true love is devotion to other people, sacrificial action towards others. 
So with that as just a little bit of a setup for today, I want you to look at 1 Corinthians 13. I want to read this morning the first four verses of 1 Corinthians 13. I invite you to follow along as I'm reading. Paul writes, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. Love is not arrogant. Now, we pointed out last time, and if we're going to be effective in loving other people, we need to understand, this is the way he lays it out for us, that love does this, love does not do this. And I want to remind you that in verses 4, 5, 6, and 7, these are all verbal forms. They are all verbs. See that this is something love does or something love does not do, and that is why this type of love can be commanded. And we have seen, as we've been walking our way through this, first of all, we saw that love is patient, patient towards other people. We have seen that love is kind. That means kind deeds and kind words. And today, we're going to look at the rest of verse 4. Now, I want you to know, as I was preparing this message this week, and I'm looking at verse 4, 5, 6, and 7, And I'm thinking to myself, how am I going to be able to adequately cover this gold mine of information in five messages? I still don't know how I'm going to do that, but that's what we're going to do. Today is message number three. There's just so much richness here. There's so much spiritual depth here. And I want to remind you of something we've mentioned The key to utilizing this passage in your spiritual life is to not view it as a window. A window through which you view what other people are doing. Rather, the key to getting the most out of this passage is to view it as a mirror through which the Holy Spirit can reveal in my life, in your life, some attitudes and actions that should be altered in our spiritual walk. So we are going to be thinking of this as a mirror. And as we come to the remainder of verse 3, having seen that love is patient and love is kind, there's an overarching theme that I think is in the next three items that are mentioned, and that is love is humble. And we see that expressed in three ways. Love, he says, does not envy. If you have a New American Standard or a New Living Translation, it says love is not jealous. The message translates it, love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love does not envy. What is envy? Well, here's a definition. Envy is the practice of focusing on another's blessings instead of our own. And envy can be very dangerous and damaging. For example, Proverbs 27.4. Anger, that's cruel. Wrath, it's like a flood. You know, flood causes damage. But jealousy is even more dangerous. James chapter 3, verse 16. 
For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, what happens? There you will find disorder and evil of every kind. Love does not envy. And we see this issue of envy surfacing in Scripture over and over again. For example, we see it in 1 Samuel 18 with King Saul. You remember the story that no one wanted to take on Goliath and David, the shepherd boy, takes on Goliath, wipes out Goliath, and then the Philistines are totally defeated. And after those events occur, it tells us that the women of the nation began to sing this song, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And then it goes on to say that when he heard that song, Saul was very angry and this saying displeased him. And Saul eyed David from that day on. Eventually, he tries to hunt him down and kill him. Why? Envy. Envy. We see it all through Scripture. We see it in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, between Joseph and his brothers. Remember, he was the youngest one, and his father had given him this multicolored outfit to wear, and they became highly envious, and so they got so mad and envious about it, they decided to sell him to a slave trade train that was coming by. We see this idea of envy causing issues in Scripture. We see it also with the religious leaders in Thessalonica in the New Testament in Acts chapter 17, because what's happening there is Paul is showing up reasoning from the Scriptures in the synagogue every day. And some of those who were listening were becoming followers of Jesus. How did the Jews respond? The Jews becoming jealous. Envy, envy, envy formed a mob and set the city in an uproar. See, men and women, envy can be a destructive tool in the hands of the enemy. But one thing I think is important to remember is that envy is also dangerous to ourselves personally. For example, envy leads to discontentment and misery. It does. I mean, we're not to be comparing houses and comparing spouses and comparing kids and comparing abilities and comparing opportunities and comparing blessings, but we have a tendency to do that very thing. And that is something that leads to discontentment and misery. I mean, there's always somebody who has more money than you do. They have a better car, bigger house. They have a larger scholarship. They're more popular. They're more athletic. And we need to understand that envy leads to discontentment and misery. And who wants to go there? Another thing we would have to say about how it is dangerous to ourselves personally is that envy chokes the life energy out of relationships. Even among committed Christians. Not too long ago, I was talking to some of our world outreach partners who are ministering outside of the United States, and I was saying to them, what are, what are some of the issues that you have to deal with? What's some of the biggest problems you have to deal with on the mission field? You know what they said to me? They said, this is the top problem with missionaries. What do you guess they said? So the top problem is comparison and envy. Well, you see, 
Envy chokes the life energy out of relationships. That happens even on the mission field among those who are called to bring the gospel to people. Love, rather than envying, rejoices at another person's blessings, rejoices at another person's accomplishments, rejoices at another person's recognition. Love does not envy. Well, how can I protect myself from developing envy in my life? Couple of suggestions. One key would be God's providence. He is the sovereign king. Remind yourselves of that. He's the one who dispenses the abilities. He is the one who dispenses the blessings. And because it comes from his hand, we have the opportunity when we see someone who has something different from ourselves is to rejoice with them over what God has dispensed. His providence helps us. Another key to protecting ourselves from envy is God's sufficiency. See, whatever my situation may be, whatever it might be, he's there with me. His grace is sufficient. There's no need for me to envy another person. He is sufficient in my life. He is there. He's giving me everything I need. Now, I want to make one other quick statement in this regard about envy, and that is this. The principles of thankfulness and contentment leave minimal room for envy and jealousy to rampage. The principles of thankfulness and contentment leave minimal room for envy and jealousy to rampage. So he's being very practical with us. Love does this. Love does not envy. And secondly, he says, love does not boast. This is the flip side, I think, of envy. J.B. Phillips' translation says, love is not anxious to impress. The message says, I like this one, love doesn't strut. The New King James Version translates it, love doesn't parade itself. See, the idea here is that love does not elevate ourselves onto our own pedestal. And we tend to do that with the aim that Maybe some other people be jealous of how wonderful I am. You know, I was doing some reading recently and I came across a definition in the Urban Dictionary of something that is noon. This is something that's very easy to fall into, I think, in social media, and that is a humble brag. Have you ever heard about this one? A humble brag. It's easy to get into this in social media. What is a humble brag? Well, they define it as a seemingly casual statement meant to draw attention to one's qualities or achievements. It's a humble brag. I'll give you an illustration of of one. You can see this kind of thing on social media. I just got back from a three-week trip to the Bahamas. I'm already needing another vacation. It's just a... There's a humble brag going on in that statement. Here's another one. My new Cadillac Escalade doesn't get the mileage of my neighbor's 2012 Corolla. Bad for me. There's a a humble brag going on there. 
And I want to be very practical. I think there are two common ways that boasting can surface in our everyday life. So I want to talk about them. The first common way, and I just know how I'm wired, I'm assuming you're wired very similarly, is that we just share something with others with the clear goal of impressing them, you know, impressing other people. Where we sort of design our comments to steer the other person to elicit patting ourselves on the back. Man, that is, you're something else. You know, we are a boaster. And when someone is being a boaster, there's usually a whole lot of I, you know, first person pronoun involved, a whole lot of I coming out in our comments. There is a very thin line between sharing, follow me here, and bragging and boasting. I need to be reminded of this. I need to be reminded of this. I find myself occasionally reminded when I think of Proverbs 27.2. It's like the Holy Spirit's just sort of poking me. Remember what it says here, Bruce? Let another praise you, not your own mouth. Someone else, not your own lips. Watch out for those humble brags. Another common way this tends to surface in our everyday life is not only sharing with a clear goal of impressing other people so that they're sort of patting us on the back, but also listening to another person share, and then we are quick to top them. You know, they're sharing an incident, an event, an experience, and we're very quick then to point out what happened to us. It's sort of a subtle form of, can you top this? You know, and I think it would be good right now if we just pause for a moment, take a little deep breath, pause before the Lord, and ask yourself the question, am I a boaster? Am I a boaster? The truth is, I I just think this is true of us. Sometimes we are in danger of severe bruising by patting ourselves on the back. We can be a boaster. And love does not blow its own horn. Love builds up and praises other people. 1 Corinthians 1.31, let him who boasts do what? What does it say? Boast in the Lord. Boast in the Lord. The overarching theme of what we're looking at about what love is, is love is humble, it does not envy, it does not boast. And then third, we're going to see that love is not arrogant. Now, in this translation, that is an adjective, but remember, these are all verbs. I think this is the attitude that lies behind boasting and bragging. Uh, The New King James Version says, love is not puffed up. And this leads us to one of the most colorful verbs in all of the New Testament. And that verb, which is this verb, love is not arrogant, is the word in the original language, fusiao, P-H-U-S-I-O-O. And fusiao is an onomatopoeic word. What does that mean? It means it sounds like what it means. Think of it. Fusiao, 
like you're blowing something up. Fusiao. What's interesting about this verb is it only occurs seven times in the New Testament and six of them are in 1 Corinthians because they had a problem with puffing themselves up and inflating themselves. The only other time it occurs is in Colossians 2.18 where it is translated puffed up without reason in the ESV, inflated without cause in the New American Standard Bible. Love is not arrogant. It doesn't have a overinflated view of itself. You know what's really interesting about this concept of arrogance and being puffed up is it's something we see showing up in Scripture. For example, arrogance was an attribute of Satan. He became very inflated with himself. Arrogance was also an attribute of the Pharisees. In Luke 18.11, one of the Pharisees is praying, I thank you, God, I'm not like other people, all these other losers out there. This appears in Scripture over and over again. For example, we see it in 3 John 9, a guy by the name of Diotrephes, and it says there of him, he likes to put himself first. Building himself up. Romans 12, 16, don't be haughty in mind, do not be wise in your own estimation, which sets us up for one of my favorite quotes of all time. This is a dandy quote. It comes from Amy Carmichael. I love this one so much. She says this, those who think too much of themselves don't think enough. So true. Love is not arrogant. It doesn't puff itself up. You know, that concept is the complete opposite of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ did not have an inflated view of himself. Max Lucado put it this way, speaking of Jesus, he said, he, Jesus, went from commanding angels to sleeping in the straw. It was probably pretty stinky straw also. He went from holding stars in his hand, he doesn't mean Hollywood stars, he means the stars of the universe, to clutching Mary's finger. The palm that held the universe took the nail of a soldier. I love this part. Your place in heaven was more important to him than his place in heaven, so he gave up his so that you could have yours. Love is not arrogant. It's not puffed up. C.S. Lewis says this, pride and arrogance is the completely anti-God state of mind. You cannot get further away when we are allowing ourselves to be puffed up in our own thinking. Paul wrote to the Philippians about this in Philippians 2 verses 3 and 4 and he says there, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit but in humility count others this verb count means to calculate, to regard, 
In humility, count, calculate, regard others as more significant than yourselves. So I want to pause for a moment, and I want you to do something, all right? Right where you are seated, I want you all to look to your left. Do that right now. Look to your left. And then I want you to look to your right, and then ask yourself this question. Do I regard them, do I count them as more significant than myself? That's really what it's saying we are to do. In humility, count, regard, calculate others as more significant than yourselves. You know, he goes on to say this right there in Philippians 2. He says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. See, love's focus is not on me, what I want. Love's focus is on others and what they need. And we've been sharing this definition of New Testament love. Remember this. New Testament love is a commitment of my will to your needs and best interest regardless of the cost. That, men and women, is how Jesus loved us. A commitment of his will to my needs and best interest regardless of the cost. A commitment of his will to your needs and best interest regardless of the cost to him. That's how he loved us. That's how he loves us right now. What he's trying to communicate is that love pumps up others rather than inflating one's self. Love is quick to make others a priority Love is quick to share the applause that might come our way. You know, as I was working on this message, I was thinking about this. How can I point others to Jesus when much of the time my thumb is aimed at me? How can I really point other people to Jesus when much of the time my thumb is aimed at me? See, that is what ought not be happening. And we are talking about the power of love. Start to think about what we've seen so far unpacked before us. If we began to practice those dimensions Do you think it would make any difference in our relationships? Yeah. And remember, we mentioned this. As we are studying 1 Corinthians 13, we suggested rather than just studying 1 Corinthians 13, let 1 Corinthians 13 study you, study me, so that we can see what we might need to do differently in the way we live our life. What does love do? Well, love is patient with people. Love is kind. It expresses kind deeds and kind words. What does love not do? Well, love does not envy. Love does not boast. Love is not arrogant. Love is not puffed up. Now, We've got two more messages in this series and I want to say get ready to hold on to your hat because we're going to have to move through a lot of information in the next two weeks. 
But I do want us to talk about some life response we can have this morning based on what we've looked at. I'm going to suggest two things. First of all, build a grid of your relationships. Actually, write these down. Maybe you're thinking of your parents or your children or your sisters or your brothers or your roommates, maybe your neighbors, maybe your coworkers, maybe your friends, maybe your spouse, any other relationships maybe that I have missed. Any relationships going on in your life, build a grid of your relationships. And then here's what we need to be doing. We must... Check our love quotient in each one of those dimensions of relationships. We need to look at my relationships with my siblings, sisters, and brothers. Am I patient? Am I kind? Are there kind words and kind deeds that I am displaying? Do I not envy? Do I not boast? Am I not arrogant? you know, puffing myself up. So the first thing we can do is to build this grid of relationships. And then secondly, earlier on, we made this statement, the principles of thankfulness and contentment leave minimal room for envy and jealousy to rampage. Very important. Thankfulness and contentment. So by way of life response, second thing we're suggesting that we do is that sometime... This week, two different times, spend some time thanking God for the blessings that he's given you. Life is busy. We have it just fly by us. Spend some time this week thanking God for the blessings that he has given to you. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you so much again for your word. We thank you for the magic that it brings us because it shows us what we need to see. And you are always teaching us to be more like Jesus. And we would pray we would be men and women who want to love the way that you love, the way that you love us. Thank you for this section of scripture. May it make a difference in how we choose to live our life in the sphere of all of our relationships. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.